confess we don't understand why you do things the way you do, but we do know that you do all things in your perfection. You make no mistakes. You're a great and perfect God. We acknowledge that. But Lord, we are but dust. From dust we came to dust we will return, Lord, until you resurrect our bodies someday. And so that means, Lord, we are, we are not infinite like you. We are very finite. And so, Lord, I ask that you would comfort this family, this ministry. You'd comfort my own heart. I pray for those who have lost loved ones. We thank you for Delaney, uh, the Delaney family and, and Marcia. But, Lord, all of this leaves holes in our hearts. Many others have lost loved ones this year. And so help us, help us keep the kingdom in mind. You have something greater. You have a kingdom that will last forever. We will serve and rule and reign with you there. And you will set all things right. Lord, help us press on. Help us to keep Christ in the center of all that we do, all that we sing, all that we say, all how we act, how we raise our children. Lord, help us stay in that battle. It is your glory that we seek, Lord. Even when our hearts are heavy. Lord, there are many others going through difficult times. There are some going through hard treatments right now. Others headed for surgery this week. All within our congregation, Lord. All suffering in unique ways, Lord. And we pray for comfort for them. I pray that you would help the membership of this church be sensitive and loving and Christ-like. The way we speak to one another and the way we reach out to one another. Cause us to be sympathetic to those who suffer. Because, Lord, you... We're sympathetic. You wept at the death of your loved ones. You heard over those who did not fully understand what you were doing. And yet you shed tears for those who suffered. And so Lord, help us be like your son. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries who suffer in a unique way. Lord, they give up things that are comforts of America or wherever their home is from. And they go to places that are difficult. And we pray that you would strengthen them as well, Lord. Lord, we get lost in our own lives here sometimes. Lord, help us to be amazed at what you're doing. Never, never stop being amazed at grace and, and, and cause us to think of others who do things that you've not called us to do. Help us die to self daily and live for you. Lord, now we want to speak of biblical womanhood. It is a subject that Satan hates, this world hates. But we love, because you love it. You created woman. And you clearly marked her as unique and in your image. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in all that we say. That men and women and young people and children would be encouraged by this. And they would seek to honor what God has honored. May you be glorified in all that we sing say and do today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, Genesis says, God said, let us make men in our image. And then he goes on in verse 27 in chapter 1 and says, let us make them male and female. Isn't that interesting? Let us make man, mankind, let us make him a image bearer and let us make him in the image of us, male and female. 
distinctly different, but in the image of God. And so that God, that both a man and woman reflect the image of God. It wasn't too long ago, our boys were little. It's fun to see all these families up here, isn't it? Time goes by fast. And I remember walking with the boys and, you know, they're like bear cubs, you know, they're rolling around doing all the things they do, you know. And pretty soon one's down, right? And then there's dad to pick them up as they cry. And then there's mom to kiss the knee. Isn't that interesting? What a picture of our Godhead. The father picks us up when we're down and yet he has healing lips. See, mom and dad, you're not just some temporary figurehead. You represent the triune God in your home. You represent who God is and how you conduct yourself and how you live for yourself and how you represent male and female in the roles that God has given points to the glory of God. And it should never, never have been thought of any less than that. We'll fight for this. They're going to come after us for this. But this, is, this represents God. And so as you lift up your children, Father, represent God well. As you kiss that skin knee, Mom, represent God well. He has healing balm in his lips, doesn't he? He's healed your soul from sin. And so represent him well. The Bible goes on to say that God said it was not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable. And boy, did he. Man needs a helper. I can attest to that. There in the garden before sin, God says, you need a helper. And so he puts Adam to sleep. You know the story in the end of chapter 2. And puts him to sleep. And from his rib, he fashions a woman. Adam wakes up. And he says, that's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. That's me. There's nothing like me. I've seen it all. I've named all of God's creation. There's nothing like me. That is like me. And she's called woman. And she is special to God. And she reflects the glory of God. And she's given a unique role. She stands next to her husband and helps him. Certainly we know the fall with all the disaster and the federal headship that that brought in. When they fell, we fell in them. Our seed was in them. But even after the judgment that fell upon them, Adam says in chapter 3, verse 20, that the man calls his wife Eve, now listen to this, because she was the mother of all the living. That was God's intent from the beginning to every living being. All of us would come through her. What a tremendous role. What a beautiful role of, of a woman that God gave. He developed her so she could conceive. He developed her so she could care and love and raise children uniquely in her design to reflect the glory of God. And yet the world wants to give all that up. Don't do it. Fight for it. We love masculinity and a woman who is feminine. God designed you that way. And he uses your glory. He uses your life to glorify him. Well, I want to take you to a scene in 1 Samuel 25. And here's my first point. I want you to see that biblical womanhood and God's gracious providence can restrain. This is the story of, of David. And it's a story of a woman named Abigail. 
And there's so much to learn here, and it's a large story, and I will move through it rather quickly. But 1 Samuel is our text. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 24, David has just come off the moment where he had Saul in his hands. He could have finished Saul off. Saul's doing everything he can. He's lied to the nation. He's using the nation's resource to chase David down in the wilderness to kill him. David has him in his sights. Even his men are saying, kill him. But David won't. He would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. And that's chapter 24. Chapter 25, verse 1, David loses someone very dear to him. Samuel dies. You'll see in the verse there, there's not much detail given to it, but Samuel dies. But you and I as humans know death, don't we? This particularly, doubtlessly, was hard on David. He lost the man who anointed him to ministry. He lost God's prophet, the seer who spoke the word of God to him and helped direct him. And though only one verse is given, we know the heartache that loss brings. And so now that brings us into this scene. But in this passage, God will show graciously and providentially how he protects David through a godly woman. Now, as the scene begins to develop, David is hiding out in this wilderness he has these shepherds that come among him, and he, him and his men protect these men. They are shepherds. David doubtlessly would have been uh, fond of them. He would have been, he would have been caring of their, their occupation. He would have been careful with them. They were shepherds. They were guiding and protecting somebody else's flock, but he would have taken care of them. And so as you read through this text, and time doesn't allow us to read through everything, he took care of them. After a while, they were struggling to make ends meet David and his little band out there. They needed food, and so they went to Nabal, who was the man who owned these shepherds and all this sheep, and they asked for some food. They, they wanted to celebrate the festivals of the Lord. They needed to eat. But Nabal teach, uh, treats his men, David's men, with great contempt, and he sends them off. And so David now hears the report, and we begin to pick up the story. There's a prominent point within this chapter that God, in a timely providence, restrains, restrains David from doing something extremely sinful and extremely consequential. He holds him back. But what he does is he holds him back through a woman. I want you to look at verse 26. And this is acknowledged all through this passage that God restrained him from evil. Verse 26 says, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as my soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from the shedding of blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, Abigail is saying, Now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. So the first restraint, the first reminder of restraint comes from Abigail, a very godly woman. David himself acknowledges that God restrained him. Look at verse 33. And blessed be your discernment, he says to Abigail. Blessed be you, and you have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Verse 34. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who restrained me from harming you, unless you would have come quickly to meet me, surely there would have not been left to Nabal until morning as light as much as one male. And then verse 39. 
when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Bless be the Lord who pleads the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. So there are four times David acknowledges that God restrained him from doing evil. Now I think that's a very important point, right? That's what the Spirit of God does for us as New Covenant Christians. He restrains us from sin. In fact, the Bible says that he's taken up residence in our, in our bodies. And so that one of the roles of the Spirit of God combined with the Word of God is say, hey, I'm in here. Don't bring that stuff in here. <laughs> this is my holy temple now. And so we see David acknowledge those things. David recognizes in verse 32 that Abigail was God's means. He says, then David said to Abigail, verse 32, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. That's quite amazing. When we study Old Testament roles of women, they, they're not quite to the par of even the New Testament women. They are property in many ways. They are uh, not held in high regard in a lot of ways. And here she is being used of God. Now, after the rejection and humiliation of David's men that he sent to Nabal, David is going to react. I want to jump back into the narrative. Look at verse 13. They've come, these men have come back. They said, here's what Nabal did to us. And David says to his men, now look at what he's going about to do. Each of you gird up your sword. So each man girded up his sword, and David also girded up his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 men stayed with the baggage. Now, you take 400 Valiant men, and if you ever read about the valiant men of, of, of David, they're fascinating to read. These dudes are, I mean, they're the Michael Jordans of the day in, when it comes to warriors. And now there's 400 of these men with David, who Saul killed his hundreds, David killed his thousands. Now it doesn't take much imagination to see what's going to happen if these two, these guys, these 400 guys and David go down to Nabal. Verse 21, I think, is probably the narrative that's happening um, in verse 13. And so it's the narrative kind of jumps back and forth a little bit. Look at verse 21. Now David had said, so this is probably in that time when he's mounting these men, Surely in vain I had guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him. And he was returned evil for good? May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of, uh, of any of them belonging to him. Whoa. I mean, David. I mean, he's, he's ticked off. And he's mad. And he's got 400 great warriors ready to go to bat with him. But one young man, look at this wise young man, went and told Abigail of what had transpired. Look at verses 14 through 17. But one young man told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. And yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted. You've got to remember, shepherds were looked down on. They, 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 had, no, they had no credit. They, they were in the laws. They were not allowed to testify in court. And, and so he, they never insulted us because David was a shepherd, right? Nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us by night and by day. All the time we were with them tending the sheep. 
Now therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that one can speak to him. And so you see the narrative grow. And so this young, wise man runs to Abigail. Again, we pick up the narrative in verse 18. Then Abigail hurried, and she took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on a donkey. And she said to the young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And it came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. And so they met. Well, here you see a beautiful and brilliant and a very godly discerning woman. Her name is Abigail. And you notice some things about her right away. First, she listens to truth. She took time with this young servant. She didn't belittle him. She listened to him. He had a message. She listened to him. This is the mark of a godly woman. The truth drove her to do something. She heard the truth and she responded to her. She needed to do the right thing here that we see in verse 18. So she gathers up a tremendous amount of food. She gives clear instruction. Go. Get ahead of me. She's, she's got, she thought the thing's going, the kitchen's rolling, right? Hey, we need this, we need that, we get this ready together, and you get ahead of me. This godly woman is reacting to truth. And then she does not tell her husband, and that's an interesting one. I was thinking of many Proverbs when I read that one that popped in my mind, chapter 14, verse 7. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern the words of knowledge. You want to hang around fools, you'll lose your discernment. That's what Proverbs means there. You want to hang around somebody who, who is so self-centered and full of themselves? He's a fool and you'll become like him. And so in this wisdom, she chooses in this time not to tell her he, tell him. He w- she will do that in time. And we best be careful here. Um, ladies, your husband is not Nabal. <laughs> you need to mark that. <laughs> you need to... Stay underneath his authority and care for him like God has intended. But there's wisdom here that she has in a very desperate situation. Notice in verse 20, she shows wisdom and chooses the best path. How can she go up? She goes up a unique path so she can, she can get to David and stop the bloodshed that is coming. And God leads her to this place. She trusts in God and God brings her right to the place she needs to be. Notice verse 21 and 22. Now, David had said, I'm going to slaughter these guys, right? Now, now we're back into what David had said earlier in verse 13. And then verse 23, when Abigail saw David, look what she does. She hurries, she dismounts from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. Well, after gathering this great army of people to get all this food together and to, to be able to to assemble this an incredible organization that would take in, a, in just brief moment of time here, all of a sudden now we see her showing tremendous uh, reverence for the future king of Israel. She's reverent. And she's reverent to God's chosen man. She has an understanding, and we'll see as this develops, as the thing she says, she knows that God has done something unique with David, and she is reverent to him. Look at verse 24. She fell. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, 
my Lord, be the blame. And let and please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. First of all, notice she's willing to take the blame. She's in full protection mode. Those servants she cares about. She sees everything that's in her home as part of the management that God has given. She knows if they die, that's under her watch. And so she comes in and she lays her own life down in front of a man who's used to killing people. I think that's astounding. And I think she's extremely wise and extremely gracious. But notice she graciously appeals to David. She puts an appeal out to him. David, please, listen to your maidservant. She knows how to approach him rightly. Look at verse 25. Please do not let my Lord, small l, pay attention to this worthless man. She's got a good discernment. She knows that David is a man of authority, that God has anointed him, and and yet she's married to a man that is a worthless man. It means he's empty. The idea of the Hebrew word is he's empty. He's empty-headed. He doesn't have anything going on up there. There's a difference of comparison. She sees the difference of these men. Nabal, for his his name, and so he is. Nabal is a name, and folly is within him. But I, your maidservant, did not see your young men when he came from you. And so here, Abigail clearly sees the sinfulness, the depravity of her own husband, but she gives a clear explanation why it happened. I, I didn't see this. I missed this. You can see she's very engaged with the ministry of her home. I missed this. And doubtlessly, this godly woman has had to navigate difficult circumstances. I mean, her, a husband like this causes tremendous problems. She knew how to navigate these things, but she missed that one. And she says, I did not see your servant. Look at verse 26. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Well, what incredible understanding of sovereignty of God this woman has. She understands his divine sovereignty. She understands that God restrains through his providence. That, that's wise. Most people just go, well, they'll just ramble on about something they want or, or, or a very poor understanding of who God is. She says God sovereignly restrains. She's a, she's a woman of God. She knows who he is. Notice in verse 26, she's humble. And yet she submits in a way with deep and truthful counsel to David. She says, the Lord has restrained you. It's deep. It's smart. It's humble. It's, it's good biblical counsel. Don't avenge yourself. Boy, that's a great statement. We follow that all the way through the scriptures. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. She knows that. And she knows that when we try to take vengeance, nothing good comes from that. And yet she's not teaching David. She's not rebuking David. She's humbly counseling him towards the truth. See, Abigail knew that God is the only one who can sinlessly revenge Notice she also, at the end of verse 26, this is fascinating, she almost foretells the death of her own husband. Notice what she says there at the end of verse 26. And now let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. She, she has a 
wise understanding what happens to fools. She knows that fools go to the pit. That fools do not have a place with God. She has an understanding of that. Yet she has to live within that. She has to manage her home within that. She has to deal with all kinds of circumstances. She has a great understanding of those things. But she's trusting God. And she sees the fool that she lives with. Look at verse 27 with me. Notice the hospitality. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to your young men who accompany my Lord. Just pure hospitality. I mean, did you catch the list? 200 loaves of bread? No, let's knock that out. Uh, she didn't have a bread maker either. I mean, that's a lot of bread. Just alone carrying that, getting it there. These loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already repa- uh, prepared. So she was prepared for something. Five measures of roasted grain, hundreds, hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. All, all of this here. Let me put out this spread for you. Hey, the gift of hospitality is a lost command, unfortunately, in the church today. Do you open your home and do you spread your table out for those who you invite? Have you recently had somebody in your home and said, we want to use our home to glorify God. This woman has put on a great demonstration of what you do with the things God has given you. So I don't have a hundred loaves of bread. Do you have have one? Can you share something? Invite somebody in. Share your testimony with them. Get to know a neighbor. Have somebody over from the church after lunch, after for lunch, and and just enjoy and share. This is this is the mark of hospitality. This is the mark of a godly woman. Look at verse 28. Here she goes again. Please forgive the transgressions of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for the Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil will not be found in you all your days. Now this is an amazing thing. She accepts the sin of her husband upon herself. She steps in front of what he deserves and takes it. Forgive me, she says. And then, and then notice, look, at she discerns the promises of God towards David. You, he, God promised that your house would not fail. There's almost a Christ understanding of his seed within them. Your house will endure. That's, that's, what, that's what was said of David. His house will never come to an end. It's all speaking of the seed of Christ. This woman has a very good understanding of God. And notice she recognizes David as the servant of the Lord fighting the Lord's battles. She was not ignorant of the times that were going on. I didn't read this, but earlier, Nabal says, who is David? You don't know who David is? Your head's so stuck in the sand, you're so caught up in your own things, you have no idea what God is doing in the nation with whom you live? You don't know that David has protected your lands? David has fought battles after battles. He's killed giants. He's done all, and you say, who is David? But not this woman. She's up to date with what God's doing. See, that's the mark of a godly woman. They're up to date of what God's doing. How is he working? How is, he, how is his word coming true? She knows these things, and she is marked as a godly woman. Notice that she sees the importance of David being above reproach. Look at the end of verse 28. Evil will not be found in you all your days. It's important, David, that you're above reproach. It's important, David, that you're a leader. She's helping this man do what is right. Notice verse 29. 
Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemy will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. It seems that she knows that Saul's persecuting David. She's up to date on this, right? <laughs> I don't know if she knows what just happened in the chapter before that, however time that was, that David was right there, could have killed Saul. But she knows David's tr- Saul's trying to kill David. And she speaks with delicacy and respectful for David's life and, and, and then also speaks of his enemies. You can hear her wisdom and her trust in God as she directs her speech to remind David that his life is bound up in the living God. She gives an example of those who are evil as a stone that can't even get out of the crook of the, of the sling. It, has, it, it, won't, it won't go very far. She knows David carries a sling. She's wise. She's well-read. She's thinking. And I think this is key here. Abigail's godly counsel helps David realize that if he would not, if he would have taken personal, um, excuse me, he's, he's helping David see that personal revenge would be godless. So David, last chapter, you could have taken revenge and God said no. Now you've gone through some hardship. If we see the Psalms, there's Psalms written in between this when David's hiding from Saul. We see his heart pulled out. He feels like he's going to die. He, he feels like that he's trapped. He's, many of the Psalms, he just pours out his heart. And then Samuel dies. And so if he goes from one moment where he says, look, I can kill this man, but I'm not going to kill the, the Lord's anointed. But this man I am going to kill. And Abigail in her wisdom says, why would you do that? Why would you do that? See, this is a mark of a godly woman. Notice verse 30 and 31. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you. Man, she knows the word of God, doesn't she? And appoint you ruler over Israel. This will not cause grief or trouble the heart of my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. Then the Lord will deal well with my Lord. Then, then remember your maidservant. Well, notice she, again, has a very clear picture of the sovereignty of God. And she does not want David's heart to be troubled because he tried to avenge himself. He leads, she leads David to trust in the Lord. And you can see um, why David comes back off to her. At the end of verse 31, she says, when the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And I don't think she's after anything at this point, but she's... But she wants to be remembered. She wants to be part of what David's doing, following of God. Well, number two, God recognizes and honors biblical womanhood. Notice in verse 32, we see how he does that. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. See, God is blessed. Now David turns into this moment of worship, right? This woman has been sent who has been a godly woman. And, and now this woman has glorified God in the presence of David, reminded him of who he is, and her wisdom and discernment led David to worship. And he begins to say, blessed be God. Ladies, do you know how much impact you have on our lives? One of the most spiritual, impactful people in my life sits right there. She has tremendous spiritual influence on me. My mother is a second. I'm here today 
because of my mother. The spiritual influence that you have, ladies, on children, on the next generation of ladies is, is immense. I would encourage you to, to use that. Be available. Find young women who need to be taught. That's Titus 2, right? Titus 2, it's older women, not old as in years all the time, but wise and aged in the word and in the love of Christ. They teach younger women. Somebody poured into Abigail, and now the fruit of her ministry is evident, and God is honoring her. Look at verse 33. And blessed be your discernment, David says to her. Isn't that amazing? Blessed be your wisdom. You're a wise woman. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed. I mean, we kind of take that for granted in our life today, right? None of us are out there slaying giants and taking 400 buddies and going and killing the neighbors. This is real. And this is the way life was back then. And, and he recognizes the great fallacy that he was headed for, the great fault that he was headed for. And this woman, through her discernment, helped protect him. And so David honors her and recognizes her. And he sees her discernment. And he assures her that the blessing of God would come upon her because of her behavior. And while recognizing his own failures, notice that. And so one of the, one of the things uh, a godly woman does for her husband or for those around is she tactfully, carefully, and submitfully and lovingly speaks truth and that's often that what brings us to repentance god uses that and here this woman spoke truth and david says i was wrong you were right thank you may god bless you look at verse 34 nevertheless as the lord god of israel lives who has restrained me from harming you Unless you would have come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. Now, this is not David bragging. I think what David is doing, he's talking about the extent of how God used Abigail and her godly behavior to save lives. That's what happened. She, in her wisdom, saved many lives. And David acknowledges that. Look at verse 35. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Abel's, uh, Abigail's hospitality is received, the abundance of what she did for these men. And the future king of Israel wishes peace upon her. And doubtlessly she had that. She lived in a very difficult situation. She has a difficult husband. She's got to go back to that. And David says, you've acted wisely. You've been discerning. You're a godly woman. You will have peace. And she does. And she goes back to deal with a very difficult situation and handles it very much in that peace. And David acknowledges that. Man, i got to say this. Don't be like Nabal. Don't be arrogant and foolish. Don't be unaware of what God is doing. Don't end up dead like Nabal. Look at verses 36 and following. Then Abigail returned to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his home like a feast of a king. You can see now we're back to the narrative in the home, the difficulties of living in this home. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. Now this gives us insight into this difficult marriage. 
And yet, notice again, she shows great discernment of when to appeal to her husband. She knows it's no easy task trying to deal with someone who has no self-control. And so she waits. She waits patiently. Look at verse 37. But in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. And his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. Well, she chose the appropriate time to appeal to him. I, I think sometimes we read this passage and you're thinking she's happy about that. I don't think she is. I think she's a godly woman. And I think she just come from the presence of David and she's wishing maybe her husband was like that. And so he says, look, I, I, maybe I can tell him. Maybe I can say, here's what happened. Here's how close you were to death. Can you turn to God? Can you turn to him and repent? I think she's after him that way more than any way. And yet that's not what takes place. Da Nabal hears this and notice his heart died within him. This was the result of this sinful man's life. In the end, his heart is like stone. And that was the evidence of his life. And verse 38 says, 10 days later, he dies. You say, why 10 days? And I think he's an example. This is an example of not trusting God. This is an example of not handling your wife correctly. This is, this is an example of men who do not seek God. You're dead, though you live. Verse 39 is precious. When David heard of Nabal, that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned evil doing on Nabal on his own head. And then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. David again now sees this as worship and he recognizes the gracious providential hand of God restraining his evil through a, uh, Abigail's good counsel. But at the same time, he recognizes that God is a revenger of evil. And listen, all of us get into situations where there is someone who is evil, someone who has done something wrong to you. Your, our first thought is to repay evil with evil. You may not say it that way, but that's what happens. But that's not how our Lord did it. First Peter reminds us that he never returned evil for evil. That's not how he acted. And that's not how godly people act. And here we have a woman in the center of Israel's history, a woman obscure. And we don't hear too much more about her except some of her sons go on to be involved in the kingdom. Here is a godly woman who recognizes God and he rewards her for that. David remembered her plea. When the Lord has dealt well with you, remember your servant. In all reality, David accepts Abigail's proposal, doesn't he? And he sends one of his own, and she accepts that. I think Abigail could have been in Hebrews 11. There we have that great hall of faith of patriarchs and matriarchs, all who by faith believed. The verse says this in verse 6. Think of Abigail. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abigail was in a very difficult spot, but she did what was right. She's a mark of a godly woman. My third thought today is just comes from a little bit of Proverbs 31 that Aaron read for us today. And I just want to make a couple comments real quick. Abigail displayed the wisdom of God, and David recognized that in her. And her counsel led David away from sin. That's the mark of a godly woman. Her counsel was gentle. Her counsel left room for God to work. Isn't that interesting? 
Does your counsel leave room for God to work, male or female, in this room? Or, or are you the end, right? Are you, are you the last? If you don't listen to me, then we're done. See, see, Abigail left room for God to work. That's what made her wise. Her counsel protected David in the future kingdom. Her counsel saved lives. Her counsel was gracious. It was submitful. And her counsel listened to, was listened to and obeyed. And so as I listened to Aaron read that text and and I thought about Proverbs 31, you, you can't help but think of some of these verses. An excellent wife, who can find? I think Abigail was probably as rare as, as, as David was probably in those days. For her worth is far beyond jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he, and he will lack no gain. Proverbs 31, dropping down to verse 28, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her, and that's after that massive list that we read there of all the things she has her hand in, all the things she's involved in, in a godly, Christ-centered type of thinking way. That's the mark of a, a biblical woman. Many daughters have done noble, but you excel them all. Charm and deceit, deceitful, uh, charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Bible, there's nothing wrong with with charm and beauty. There's none of that. But if you hang your whole life on that, you're in a lot of trouble because we get old. <laughs> and that once beauty we had when we were young starts to fade. And then the Bible says this. Think about this. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. One last person I want to take you to and then we'll sing a song and go have lunch with mom. Is John chapter 2. And I'll come back and preach on this one of these days and save this for another, maybe Mother's Day or something. But I just wanted to bring out one thing that I call number four, the greatest statement Jesus' mom ever said. You remember the story there, now the ministry of Jesus is starting to take off and this is the first recorded miracle of Jesus. It's in, it's in the uh, town of Cana in Galilee. There's a wedding going on. Jesus' mom seems to be a prominent member there, so it could be family that's going on. But she's, she's directing things. She's, she has a role here. She's, she's clearly a leader here. The Bible says on the third day there was a wedding at Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, verse 2. I'm in John chapter 2. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now this is a fascinating situation here. And I, I think some people probably read this and they go, well, why is Jesus speaking to his mom that way? And we'll get into this another time. But Jesus is setting the tone that you don't get to the kingdom of God. You don't gain salvation because you're a family member. It's really clear here. He is treating the word woman would be like a way we use ma'am in the south. It's not a derogatory term there. But he is making sure that her and everybody else realizes there is only one way to the Father, and it's going to be through me. It doesn't mean if you're a family, friend, or whatever else, there's no way through to the Father except through me. And he's making that very clear. 
But then she makes this statement, and I'll end with this. And moms, women, this is a statement that if you use, God will be glorified. Whatever he, Jesus, says to you, do it. Can you think of any better counsel to give somebody? Whatever Jesus says, do that. Do you want to be a great mom? Do you want to be a great sister in the Lord? Tell them to do what Jesus says to do. Isn't that beautiful? Go do what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Tell them that. Tell them that. And you, you will receive honor from God because you directed people to come his way. Father, today is Mother's Day here in America. It is a day that we traditionally honor moms. But our nation has moved so far away from biblical truth that it can't define a woman. But not your church. Not your people, Lord. Not the people you have drawn out of the world into a permanent relationship with you. You've given us your word and we know exactly what a woman is. She's a reflection of the Godhead. She is a person endowed exactly the way you wanted her to be. You made her. You gave her your character, your image bearing. You caused her to love and to live her life in reflection of you. You made her the mother of all living. You chose through her to do what men could not do and you have exalted her. So Lord, when we as a church think about biblical womanhood, may we always exalt biblical women. Women who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Women who honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Women who strive by the strength of the Spirit and through the Word of God to live lives that honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I know you'll honor them. Just as David honored Abigail, you honor women who live for you. So I thank you for the women of Riverbend, the moms, uh, those who never bore a child, but all women. These are gifts to the church, Lord. And as we think about the scriptures, they resemble the church. They line their affairs up under the authority of their husband, just like the church should line its authority under Jesus Christ. They are still teaching us how to do church. And so we thank you for each and every one of them. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless these ladies, all the women of this church. And they would have a special day. And they would be encouraged to love their Bibles, love their Savior, love their husbands, love their children, love their church members. And cause them to be used greatly of you, Lord. May they feel special today and honored. In Jesus' name.